Hello and hi. Hi, hi. Oh my god, it's been a bajillion years since we talked. Missed you. Wow, we have so much to catch up on. And how are you? (laughs) So good. Um, oh shit, wait, while we're... Oh shit! Oh shit! I, as soon as you did it, I was like, I can hear it. (laughs) I was telling Evan yesterday about how badly I want, um, karaoke at Myrna's because my first karaoke song back is going to be Big Girls Don't Cry. And why wouldn't it be? Because why wouldn't it be? Exactly. How are you? You know, I'm well. I'm well. Um, Trevor's making dinner, playing some bluegrass in there. Um, it's like I a, like when he plays bluegrass because then it's like our podcast has like a soundtrack. Like a tone. Yeah. yeah, it's nice. Um, it's a it's a spaghetti and meatballs, but with like a spicy red pepper um, sauce. Yum. Yeah, and I think probably mushrooms because we love mushrooms and we have a million of them. Um. Yeah. I forget sometimes that you guys are really good cooks. We're we're not bad. He's better than me, for sure. Um, but I've mm. I've gotten better. I used to, before, pre-pandemic, I could make breakfast at the end. Yeah. And the only breakfast I could make was, like, a skillet. Yeah. I mean, um, that's a great breakfast to have. It, I, I had no complaints, and I ate yeah. it every single day. Yeah, because why would I? I had zero complaints. Um, but, yeah, all of this sweet, sweet unemployment time, I have learned to cook many a thing. Mm-hmm. It's a skill. I just hate cooking. I hate it. Actually, I've I've grown to really enjoy it. Even the like long, complicated recipes, like I actually really enjoy it. Unless yeah, I'm just... starving, and then I'm like, can I please eat something now, please? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's just that there's so much like I don't know. There's like reading a recipe, you know. There's so much like season to taste, and I'm like, nope, that's not how recipes are supposed to work. You're supposed to tell me how much. To put in here. That's why it, baking it makes a lot of sense to me. You like baking makes a lot of sense to me because it's like this is what it takes to make things work and, and taste see, the I've, right way. I've gotten to the point that I cook so much now that when I try and bake, I'm like, I know. <laughs> yeah, I, it's fine. I don't have that particular ingredient, but like I have something. I have another wet ingredient that could probably work. And so, like, I've gotten real loosey-goosey with my baking lately. I mean, but and if it works, then it than, works. But more times than not, it doesn't. Oh. Because <laughs> I'm just like, meh. Yeah. Because I, I have a very cooking attitude about it, even though I know that baking is more precise. But I'm like, surely this will be fine. I remember being a kid and my dad, like, trying to teach me how to cook. My dad is a great cook. And him being him, he was trying to teach me how to make this soup. And he was like, yeah, you put like yay amount of milk in here. And I was like, what do you mean yay amount? And he was like, yeah, you should pour it in. You go, yay. He's like, how how long is your yay? Like, what if I say a long one? Then that'll change it. And he was like, just say however long you think. It's like, that's not helpful. My mom was that way. And I asked her one time, I was like, hey, what was your biscuit recipe again? And she was like, Oh, you know, like some flour and then you pour in milk until it looks right. And then you, <laughs> and I was no, like, extreme not, helpful, <laughs> not helpful at all. <laughs> but that's truly like I, Evan is the same way. Like people who are just good cooks, I feel like their brain works that way. So it because can be they just understand like, what it means in terms of like 
liquid salt you know acid heat blah 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 i guess back to salt fat acid heat (laughs) which is one of the greatest shows on netflix and everybody should watch it it's incredible Hmm. um she also has a podcast which is precious and a book and i don't remember her last name but her name is samin and i love her look it up it's great but she goes into like why salt is important in cooking and then the the next like each episode is its own thing right Mm -hmm. so why acid is important why citrus that kind of stuff Hmm. why heat is important and like what like heat at the beginning versus heat at the end versus like changing the heat like how it changes your meal cooking low and long versus like hot and fast like this is a great recommendation because i feel like that's why I really enjoy baking is because I like knowing the science of what's happening and like why you have to like yes. let things rise and like let things yes. do this and let things do that. Watch salt, fat, acid, heat. It's okay. So, so good. Okay. Maybe uh, that'll help me like wrap my head around. Yeah. And like each episode, she's fucking, she's so precious, but like each episode she goes to a different place and makes an original something with whatever person. And so like for the salt episode, she goes to I think it's I think it's Tokyo and makes actual soy sauce. And oh, then cool. the heat episode, I'm pretty sure, is her and her mom making a, tr- a traditional meal from when she was a kid. And the I think the heat episode. No, wait, that's her mom. I don't remember. But one episode, she goes to Italy and there's like all the olive oil and the pasta. And the, it's so hmm. interesting. Okay. So, so it's on Netflix. Yes. Okay. And it's only four episodes. It's great. I'll add that to my documentary list. Do it, do it, do it. My 3 a.m. documentaries. You're going to fall in love with her. She's incredible. I can't wait. I'm, you've got me very genuinely excited about this. Yeah. She's one of those people that's just like so genuine and sweet and enjoys people and enjoys what she does. And it's just like fun to watch her be a person. Mm. It's extremely wholesome. That sounds great. Yeah. That's all I have to say about that. But letter Kenny. <laughs> oh my God. Oh my God. I'm so glad that you're watching letter Kenny. You're getting such a weird, accurate glimpse into my childhood. I greeted someone today with her, you know, and they did not respond. And I was like, oh. <laughs> it's so great. Especially every time so they great. mention the U.S. and Excellent. every every time they mention the U.S., it's like figure it out. It's like later. I said, I said figure it out. Later seasons have a couple of American characters, and it's hilarious. It's great. Appreciate what are you? Are you? What are you still drinking? <laughs> <laughs> My Chris Fresh Trader Joe's bottle of wine. No great. box of wine. Wow. I don't buy bottles. I'm not. That wow. Fancy. I know. Um, have I you tried it. Snoop's wine? What? No. Snoop Dogg has a wine. Okay, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> it is $11, and I am going to try it at some point. I force Hunter to drink shit-ass wine with me all the time. Oh, boy. And that's been on our shit-ass wine list for quite some time. I'm going to not do that. But you know what I am going to do? Welcome you to Ew, no. <laughs> As soon as I, uh, 
God. You looked so intrigued, and then your face. I was like, oh, oh no, I fell for it. You did. You I sure did. did. Thank you. I feel very welcomed. <laughs> I love the like really bitter and angry like thanks. I feel super <laughs> welcome. <laughs> I feel like it's extremely on brand for us to yeah. always be a little bit annoyed about being welcomed into a space. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. It's great to be here. I'm so happy to have you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> what if whoever did it just invited the other person like they were a guest? <laughs> oh my God. That's so funny. <laughs> Uh, ask my guest this week. Mm-hmm. Yes. But, yeah. Uh, hi. Are you still drinking a line and Kugel? I am still drinking a line and Kugel, and I got a little, a little splash of water here. I say a splash because it's a little teeny glass. Oh, I too um, have a teensy glass of water. <laughs> oh my God! For listeners at home, this glass is like the size of Reagan. So it's a Stein. It's a, it's a full Stein. It's that glass is as tall as you are. It's. I believe 34 ounces, maybe 36. I don't remember. That is a lot. I try and drink three of these a day so that I'm just like extreme hydration station. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, when when was your babe born this week, Taylor? Um, this week my babe was born 1902. <sighs> I am. Barely going first. Oh dang! Okay, I when I when I was doing this, I was like, "There's a possibility that I'm going first twice." <laughs> it's like I'm, I squeaked in, in this, right. this one. Um, Taylor, are you ready for the most wholesome story you've ever heard in your life? Yes, I very much am. Since you texted me, my story is so cute. I've been very excited about all of it it's because it this so actually works cute. out. This actually works out really great because my story that pairs with yours accidentally is also very wholesome and very cute. So Great. we're going to have a wholesome episode. Great. Great. A pup. She's ready. She's ready. Okay. Taylor, have you ever heard of Marie Poland Fish? No, but I love her name. You're okay. going to love it even more soon. Great. All right. Marie Bobby Poland Fish was born May 22nd, almost her birthday. Uh, 1900 in Patterson, New Jersey. Okay. She was known to her friends as Bobby because of her flapper hairstyle. Oh man. Mm -hmm. That's so So, cute. Women who are nicknamed Bobby is huge fan. There's nothing cuter. Huge. There's nothing cuter. No. Yeah. In the world. Um, after she graduated pre-med at Smith college in 1921, she was doing some cancer research in Long Island and met a young Charles Fish, okay. who was a plankton scientist. The biggest <laughs> part eyes. Oh, my God. <laughs> so oh my God. <laughs> she's real into this, Mr. Fish, and right. the plankton scientist. Yeah, I feel like if you're, I feel like if your last name is Fish and you want to be a scientist, you're a little bit pigeonholed to doing something mm-hmm. marine. Fish. Yeah, yeah. Um. So she becomes his research assistant in 1923. In the same year, they married. And Marie took a job at the U.S. Bureau of Fisheries in Massachusetts. 
Reagan, we're going to have, this is going to be like when we both picked ladies from the SOE. I, I just, I can't. Wow. Wow. So Marie quickly became a leading expert in fish, eggs, and larvae. Sure. And on a research trip to the Sargasso Sea, okay. don't know where that is, Mm-mm. in 1925, she discovers this strange egg near Bermuda. And she's like, well, this is odd. So she's taking care of this egg, and then it hatched. And she describes it in very dark terms. But she discovered that it was the American eel. And she was the first scientist to discover its egg. So she becomes somewhat of a scientific celebrity at the age of 27. (laughs) And even though she's 27 years old, she's heralded as the girl who solved an American, an ancient, excuse me, an ancient mystery. Wow. So then she goes to study Lake Erie for a few years. She had a daughter named Marilyn in 1931. And then she and Charles opened their own marine lab at the University of Rhode Island in 1936, which today serves as the University of Rhode Island's grad school of oceanography. Um, Then she worked for two years classifying fish at what would become known as the Smithsonian National Museum of Natural History. Wow. And then she got her PhD from the University of Rhode Island. This lady loves fish. Like loves fish. Huge fan of fish. Wow. So one day she gets a call from the Navy. And they're like, hey, listen, we have so many fish. Uh-huh. <laughs> but like the thing was, during World War II, US submarines and sonar operators were listening for enemy vessels. So the USS Salmon heard a bunch of rumbling propellers and they were like, quick, we got a surface and there were no ships. So then the USS Tarpon and the USS Permit kept hearing like hammering and clanging. And one sound was so loud that it threatened to detonate defensive mines and sink friendly ships. And they're like, we got to figure out what ships these belong to. So they surface and they can't find anybody. And they're like, what enemy ships are so ghost-like around us. And then some Navy officials put together what was happening, and they called Marie. They described, quote, beeping, clicking, creaking, harsh croaking, crackling, whistling, grunting, hammering, moaning and mewing, and even the dragging of chains. Marie was immediately like, yeah, that's super-duper marine life. That's all fish <laughs> But I don't know which fish are making these sounds. So she starts doing research. And during her research, she discovered that one 19th century sailor had wondered at the sounds reminiscent of, quote, jingle bells and enormous harps. Even the siren songs of Homeric legend, she speculated, may have been produced by breeding schools of croakers. What are croakers? No idea. (laughs) <laughs> a lot of noise. <laughs> are they fish? Are they amphibians? I'm not sure. Uh, so scientists at the time, everybody thought the the ocean was silent. Even That's though- so weird. I can't even like. I don't. I guess I had never thought about the fact that people didn't always know that you would hear shit in the ocean. They thought it was silent, and she was like, "My dudes, 
if you learn in physics, like sound travels through water five times more efficiently than through air. Yeah. So the problem is that sound waves don't transition mediums. So it doesn't transition from water to air. So we can't usually hear them. But she was basically like, hey, if you pay attention to physics. Can you imagine how scary that would be if we could hear everything that was going on in the ocean? <laughs> I would be horrified. If you just lived by the beach and you just heard just like, like ocean uh, shit all the time. <laughs> that would be 100% a reason to stay away from the beach. Right. Um, wow. So when, when Jacques Cousteau's memoir was published in 1953, he named it Silent World. And the whole time Marie was like, right, but listen, folks, even vocal creatures are going to be silent when a vessel approaches. So, like, yeah. you're not listening in the right conditions. Yeah. So she goes back to Rhode Island. She began experimenting. So she blocks off a portion of the bay so that ships can't get close. And she lowered hydrophones into the shallows. And she had an undergraduate student named Joseph Monroe who was helping her. And he would go down to the docks every morning super early. And whatever, like, weird, strange fish, the fishermen were like, yeah, we accidentally caught this and we annoyed. He's like, I'll take it. And so he would, like, hustle them back up to Marie so that they would keep them alive and she could study them. And he must have done, this is literally a quote from the article. He must have done a good job because he married her daughter, Marilyn, in 1952. Oh, my God. <laughs> Wait. she Her daughter's 21 by this point. But also named Marilyn Monroe. Correct. <laughs> Correct. I did not connect that <laughs> particular dot to the other dot. Probably not. It's Marilyn not spelled Monroe, the same though. way. It's oh, not that's funny. So just, uh, just a crazy random happenstance. Fun. Um, so by 1954, Marie had, quote, auditioned more than 180 species and recorded their sounds. So she was able to tell what sounds that they, that each species made during like mating season versus warding off predators, whatever. And she could like describe them in detail, but she wanted to know how they made these sounds. So they started dissecting fish and she discovered that some would like reverberate muscles over a membrane and some would like ground their jaws together and just all this different random stuff. One species was capable of raising the ocean background sound decibel to the equivalent of a rock concert. One what? species. Yeah. So while her lab was not equipped to study larger marine life, she correctly hypothesized that whales echolocate before that was actually described in science. Wow. Oh my God. Wow. She figured it out and she was right. Also in the Smithsonian article, there's a YouTube link where you can listen to a bunch of the sounds and it's like 40 minutes long. And so I just listened to it while I was doing all of my <laughs> research for this. I am positive that they used marine life sounds to voice r2d2 in star wars because mm. there's a specific though. yeah there's a specific fish or something that has that high like you know like yeah it's it's exactly the same wow so at this point there are very few women in scientific fields as a whole but especially marine studies because 
most schools banned women from the oceanic research voyages. Oh. Right? One exception that I have to include, Roberta Eek was a graduate student at the Marine Biological Laboratory in Woods Hole, Massachusetts. She was expelled from the program after being barred from expeditions, and then she stowed away on one anyway in 1956. Amazing. I feel like we talked... I feel like she came up um, very briefly in the one about Eugenie Clark. Quite possibly. Okay. Quite possibly. Feels like maybe we should just cover that lady. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Marie's fame is growing because new newspapers are obsessed with her. They called yeah. her the affable redhead with a sparkling sense of humor who eavesdrops on the gossip of sea animals. Oh, my God. Precious. Wow. At this point, she's leading her own research expeditions to the Virgin Islands, the Bahamas, and Puerto Rico. And she started the field of marine bioacoustics. Wow. Yeah, she started it. She was the lady. So the Navy shows up, and they're like, knock, knock, we need your underwater detective agency to teach our sonar operators how to tell the difference between like the enemy and whales. <laughs> oh my God. So enable to, to, to enable the vessels to properly identify enemy targets and avoid attacking like whales and schools of fish. She recorded and analyzed the sounds of more than 300 species of marine life from mammals to mussels. So cute. Wow. They also deployed her to France, England, and Germany to teach the Allies how to do it as well. At one point, she was being interviewed, and somebody asked her, like, have you ever correctly identified an enemy ship? And she was like, you betcha, and that's all I can say about that. Next question. (laughs) So in 1966, after she retired, Dr. Fish was awarded the Navy's Distinguished Public Service Award, which is the highest civilian honor. And in 1989, she died of something at the age of 88. I have no idea why she died. Uh, But marine bioacoustics is no longer like a fringe area of research. Yeah. Research. But most people focus on whales and dolphins. So from her time to now, the 50s to now, we don't know a ton more about the communications of smaller fish and crustaceans. And as technology advanced and more like ships and machinery and fishing vessels were put into the ocean, it's become way harder to hear the natural sounds of ocean life. Mm -hmm. And so the Navy received a lot of backlash about how its sonar was hurting whales. So they developed a system to listen to the chatter and noise in the Florida Keys. But like, how does that help? Yeah. It was like the Navy developed the system to listen. And I was like, Okay. And how I wonder if that's that like offsetting the harm. Yeah, weird. I don't know. But thankfully, one of the unseen benefits of this motherfucking pandemic and world shutdown is that a lot of the marine machinery and shipping was stopped. And so marine life can be heard more clearly. And they specifically talked about it in Alaska's Glacier Bay, and you can hear the whales more clearly 
And they were like, wow. so cool. I was like, you guys are so cute. Oh. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that is wow. the life and legacy of Marie Fish. That's excellent. Isn't that precious? So excellent. So my dad sent her to me and was like, hey, this lady's really cool. And also it would be really cool if you could include some of the fish sounds on the podcast. Oh my god. If if I can figure I out like, how to do correct, that. But also great. I think it's like it's a part of this woman's specific art artistic project. So I think it would be like copyright issues to steal it from right. her YouTube. Yeah. Do it. But I was like, you're not wrong, Dad. That would be very cool. It would be great. That would be great. Wow. Yeah. Um so deep dive article was smithsonianmag.com by this guy named Ben Goldfarb. Um, Great. You know, New York Times, Wikipedia, and Google Arts and Agriculture. Wow. Yeah, just the cutest. I'm obsessed. Good work. Thanks. That was lovely. I was really excited for you to hear that story. Yeah, I love that. So cute. (laughs) Um, Well, buckle up because we have a very similar theme going today so reagan mm-hmm. have you ever heard of margaret otherwise known as marty with a d Murray? no great okay so marty Murray was born august 18th 1902 in seattle when she was nine her family moves to fairbanks because her dad had been appointed a u.s attorney assistant u.s attorney Um, She goes to Reed College in Portland for two years, then transfers to Simmons College in Boston. Finally, she heads back up to Fairbanks and she becomes the first woman to graduate from the Alaska Agricultural College and School of Mines in 1924. Today, it's called UAF, University of Alaska Fairbanks. Oh, dang. She's the first lady. Heard of them. Um, So Fairbanks is where she met Olaus Murray. Um, Big Big hard eyes, big, gigantic hard eyes. We're going to talk about him almost in equal measure with her today because it's they're just the best. Um, So they got married. They got married at three in the morning later that same year in Anvik, Alaska, on the banks of the Yukon River. Amazing. (laughs) Adorable. Um, He was he was a biologist with the U.S. Bureau of Biological Survey, which was the precursor to the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. So he had been studying birds in Hooper Bay. And so when they got married on the Yukon River, Marie was like, you know what? I'll just go with you. I just called her Marie. That's her last name. Marty was like, I'll just go with you and we'll just do this as our honeymoon. So then for their honeymoon, it becomes them traveling 500 miles around the Koyukuk region in boat and dog sled to conduct caribou research. (laughs) Extremely romantic. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. The most romantic. Probably because that research involved feces. Probably quite a lot of it, honestly. So romance. Um, So 1927, Olaus gets assigned to study elk populations in the Grand Tetons. So they move to Jackson Hole, Wyoming, and they have three kids. And that kind of becomes their home base from then on, although they travel back and forth to Alaska all the time. Um, So 1945, they buy a ranch in Moose, Wyoming. (laughs) And uh, later that same year, Olas is appointed part-time director of the Wilderness Society. 
and Marty starts working as both his like, like he's working on conservation efforts. And so she's teaming up with him on that. But then she's also working as a secretary at the Wilderness Society. So like they are just working together to save the planet. Mm-hmm. Um, so Olaus serves as superintendent of the local hospital. Marty was known for like organizing community dances. Like they're just so cute. Um, <laughs> he was Olaus is known at the biological survey as a quote tolerated maverick because he was like one of the only people that didn't believe in just wiping out predators that were deemed a nuisance like wolves mm-hmm. and coyotes. Mm-hmm. So he said, quote, poisoning and trapping of so-called predators and killing rodents and the related insecticide and herbicide programs are evidences of human immaturity. The use of the term vermin as applied to so many wild creatures is a thoughtless criticism of nature's arrangement of producing varied life on this planet. Okay. But like, I super agree with him because as much as I have Animals, mainly insects, let's be honest, that I dislike. They all serve a purpose. No, no, no. He's 100% in the right. He's super right. And the the experiment of reintroducing wolves into Yellowstone was and is fascinating mm-hmm. how it affects the entire ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Yep. There is, um, in my ecology class, there is a island in... One of the Great Lakes, I don't remember which one, but there's an island and it's basically only inhabited by moose and wolves and rabbits. And so it's a perfect, it's a perfect natural ecological study because they can watch as moose populations rise and then rabbit populations dwindle because the moose are eating all of the food. And then wolf populations rise because the moose are going bananas and then the moose population declines like, like it's a perfect way to see wow. how population like um ecology works it's so good i don't think it's in my great lake because i feel like i would have heard about it but that is very very cool yeah i think it's in michigan i don't know lake I michigan because that's the one that i'm on the board oh then probably not that one whichever I mean, who knows other ones real quick there are while we're doing this. Hold on. I gotta find out. Perfect ecological island. Honestly, just say like Moose Wolf Island Great Lakes and it'll definitely come up. Okay. Moose Wolf Island Great Lakes. Not Pakes. Island Royale, Isle Royale. That sounds correct. It's a rope island isolated by the frigid waters of Lake Superior. Okay. Population of moose and wolves. Predator and prey, their deaths are linked in a drama that is timeless and historic. Yep. Fascinating. Isle Royale. Damn. (laughs) Yeah. Um... So um, Olas is like super, Olas and Marty both are super, um, they're huge advocates of like, you can't save, you can't focus your conservation efforts on one species because you need to focus it on the whole ecosystem because otherwise something else is going to get thrown out. Um, So Marty specifically, her idea of needing to preserve entire ecosystems kind of laid the framework both scientifically and like, like, 
what am I trying to say? For like, for like logically explaining things to Congress and shit, like intellectually, um, kind of <laughs> laid the the framework for all of that for what would later become national parks and preserves. Um, so 1956, the two of them start petitioning. They go, they go on a trip to Alaska and they're traveling north of the Brooks Range. Um, and they start campaigning to protect a large swath of Alaskan wilderness. Um, they petitioned President Eisenhower, along with the help of a Supreme Court judge, William Douglas, to set aside eight million acres. Um, and that area is now known as the National Arctic National Wildlife Range or ANWR. Nice. They're the ones that got ANWR going, which is pretty nice. fucking cool. Um, so in the early 60s, the two of them campaigned for the Wilderness Act, which would create the National Wilderness Preservation System, which would set aside nine million acres to be free of development and um, had provisions in it that allowed for additional acreage to be added later. So the two of them are huge proponents of that. They go around like talking about how great it would be to like Congress and shit. So um in 1962, as this is going on, she publishes her book, which I would love to read, called Two in the Far North. And it's literally just about her travels around Alaska with Olaus. It Amazing. talks about their wedding. It talks about, like, their research. Sounds excellent. Yes. Um, so, sadly, Olaus dies in 1963, just a year before the Wilderness Act was passed. So he didn't no. get to see it. Um, Marty attended the signing of the act on September 3rd, 1964. Um, so her husband slash scientific partner's death didn't slow her down. She takes all of the conservation work that they were doing together and she just starts building on it. So the log cabin in Moose, Wyoming becomes the home for basically anybody who was into the environmental movement. Like anyone who wanted to help, she was like, come on in. So they would like write letters from the house. They traveled to and from hearings. She was traveling around giving speeches, like well into her 80s. She was traveling around giving speeches. Um, so she travels back to Alaska to survey wilderness areas for the National Park Service. And she ended up working on the Alaska National Interest Lands Conservation Act, otherwise known as ANILCA, which Evan and I have to deal with every single day. So when I was wow. researching this lady, I was like, Evan, this is the lady that helped like nominate lands for ANILCA. And he was like, damn good find I was like I've Seriously. never heard of her how is this possible or she's helping nominate lands for Anilka which was then signed into law by Jimmy Carter in 1980 um it was legislation that ultimately expanded Anwar and set aside set aside a total of 104 million acres in Alaska damn. <sighs> amazing um so she still worked with the Wilderness Society basically picking up where Olaus left off so in 1983 She's interviewed for an article in the Oregonian. She was 80 at the time. And this article, like, I highly recommend you just read it because the whole thing is great. Um, but one quote says, quote, she has outlived her famous biologist husband, Olaus Murray, by two decades. She says she misses her companion of 36 years every waking moment and often in her dreams. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, and then so. Um, instead of like talking about all of these awards and shit that she won in the article, it says, quote, a simple cabinet in her dining room provides testimony to her involvement in worldly affairs far removed from her warm, inviting home. 
There's her honorary ranger certificate from the National Park Service. Two National Audubon Society medals grace the case, one for her and one for Olaus. There's a copy of the Alaska Lands Bill autographed by President Jimmy Carter. An Isaac Walton Award and a John Muir Award offer further evidence of the Muir's dedication to the preservation of the environment. Wow. She just has all that shit just on her mantle. Oh, wow. So in 1997, the Muri Ranch, as it's come to be known, was declared a National Historic District and is now the headquarters for the Muri Center, which is still today an educational center for conservation. Um, 1998, she is awarded the Presidential Medal of Freedom by Bill Clinton. 2002, days before her 100th birthday, she receives the J.N. Ding Darling Conservationist of the Year Award, which is the highest honor in the National Wildlife Federation. Um, so October 19th, 2003, she died in her sleep at her longtime home at the Murray Ranch in Moose, Wyoming. She never left once her and Olaf's bought it. She just stayed there. Um, she has been dubbed by both the Sierra Club and the Wilderness Society as the grandmother of the conservation movement. So sweet. Um, So as a last little note, Marty testified before Congress in defense of the Alaska Lands Act and said, quote, I am testifying as an emotional woman, and I would like to ask you, gentlemen, what's wrong with emotion? Beauty is a resource in and of itself. Alaska must be allowed to be Alaska. That is her greatest economy. I hope the United States of America is not so rich that she can afford to let these wildernesses pass by or so poor that she cannot afford to keep them. Dude. And that is conservationist Marty Murray and also her husband, Olaf's Murray. She's right, though. Dude. Yeah. I mean, the whole yeah, their entire start to finish their entire approach. So many of the. So many of the like legislation and bills that. Are specifically designed to. Not keep every single part of the country a like industrial hellscape yeah. basically she sponsored in one way or another that's amazing yeah wow. changing Good the world find that lady thanks totally on accident but was very exciting um so to source my shit real quick britannica wikipedia um, there is an article written on wilderness.net by Howard Burks, just called Olas and Marty Miri. Sure. Um, Alaska University, UA website, is the one that's hosting the um, Oregonian article that came out January 1st, 1983, and it was written by Tad Bartimus. Um, it's just called Margaret Miri. And then uh, the New York Times did an article when she died. Margaret Mary, 101, helped save wilderness. Wow. Yeah. Extremely cool. That's my babe. It's a great babe. Two cute, wholesome scientists, babe. Save the world babes. Mm. I mm. love them. Mm-hmm. They're what you love to see. Truly. You truly love to see it. With their hard eyes, save the world, husband. Oh, my God. I love that we both had big hard eyes today. I know. That's really nice. Um, who's your babe? 
I wish everyone listening could watch the extreme <laughs> dramatic stare down. The focus. Yeah. yeah. Was great. Um, my babe this week, she's been my babe before. She will be my babe again. It is my sister-in-law, KK. Mm, a great um, one. For those who do not know her, I feel like a lot of my friends follow her and a lot of my, almost all of my friends who follow her are like, is it weird that I follow your sister-in-law and I don't know her? And I'm like, no, it's the I've best literally never met her. And it's fine. And I'm, keep going. I love her. Yeah. She's incredible. Um, she got COVID a while ago and she was one of those people that had long-term COVID and it was just a, I mean, a huge bummer. It doesn't even kind of cover it, obviously, but due to her long-term COVID, they discovered that she had, I believe, cancerous tumors on her thyroid and so they were able to remove those and she's vaccinated and is getting like injections to help build back her energy and immune system and the whole I'm probably getting all of this wrong but (laughs) because she had COVID they found all of these other things that were extremely dangerous and yeah led to surgery and led to this like long, crazy recovery. And she is embarking on that recovery right now. And it's just, it's insane because like, it's like life cannot give this precious human a break. Um, And throughout all of it, she's still a really positive presence in her Mm -hmm. space online and still in seminary school and a mother to four kids and like running a business. And like, it's, it is absolutely insane to me all that she has been doing in spite and during all of this. It's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. Um, but I love her and I'm so, so proud of her and I'm extremely proud to call her my sister-in-law and yeah. That's KK. That's a really good one. Everybody should go follow her. Kara K. James. She's a great follow. She's a great follow. And you can yeah. see my extremely cute nieces and nephew. True facts. Just oh, wild. my God. All of those kids are so cute. <laughs> They're so cute. They're so cute. It's amazing. Good one. Thanks. Who's yours? Um, I think mine has to be my grandpa. Because I, yesterday was his birthday and he, they didn't come up for any of the holidays this year, obviously. And, um, so they finally like figured out a good, like break between work. And so they came up. Um, so my grandma was here for Mother's Day, which was very cool. And my grandpa was here for his birthday. So I got to hang out with them on those days for the first time in almost 20 years, which was very cool. Um, and yeah, it was just great. It was just great. So he's 77 now, which is crazy. Cause he's, I mean, like he just got hit by a car, which is nuts. I mean, not just sure it was a few years ago, but still, um, yeah. And he's just the best. I'm just a big fan. Always been a big fan. It was cool getting to see him. That's awesome, dude. Yeah, it was really nice, especially after like the last year. It was so nice getting to hang out with them. 
I bet. So yeah, I think uh, Ma and Pa are the the babes. Amazing. Mm-hmm. I love that so deeply. It's all just this so quick. Awesome and good. It was. That's a quick one. My babes the last two weeks were pretty short, but I loved them so. But we're great. Who cares? I can't believe you found a tank driver and a <laughs> fish listener. Bio, wait, marine bioacoustics. Bio, a bioacoustician? I'll take it. Okay. I have no idea. Great. But I accept. Also, did you know that I will see you in one month and four days? That's so exciting. I kind of want to poop. And (laughs) I want you to know that now that we are both vaccinated, when I saw you in September and we like stood in a parking lot, we were like, hi, I love you so very much. Hello. Hi. That's that shit's not going to happen. It's going to be like, I'm going to hug you and then I'm going to hold your hand for a week. Also, this is me holding your hand for some reason. It's, it's nice that you think that I'm the one who needs to prepare for that. I'm just, I'm just, I'm a hugger. Yeah. I'm a hugger forever. Mm-hmm. I will leech onto you. Mm. I'm in. This is deeply exciting to me. I hope everyone listening. <laughs> <laughs> this weird, like aggressive love letter that we're writing to each other. Yes. Um, yes. I'm probably going to keep it in our episode because that's fine. It seems because pretty on brand for us. I will clutch your hand. Great. Every, uh, just so everybody knows, the visual is like one person's hand is on the bottom, and the other person has to put a fist in, is what I'm imagining. Like, yeah, like palm up, fingers right. spread. Like, like think of like a spider like that just died. Right, you or, know? Like, or like you're changing gears in an automatic, but upside totally, down. Totally, but upside down. That's a great, that's exactly what it is, yeah. It's going to be a lot of that. It's going to be a lot of weird. So much of that. I was just said it's going to be a lot of weird hand stuff. It's like, no, it's not going to be any <laughs> yeah, of that. One hundred, you know, whatever. Um, this was very great. This was extremely great. I think I'm gonna try and catch the last. Might be a scooch chilly outside now, but I'm gonna try. It's been raining for like two weeks, so my head has been garbage and today is like the first day that it doesn't feel like somebody is just squeezing my brain and so I've tried to like be outside as much as possible today because I'm gonna go uh wash off the four layers of sunscreen that I have on my body okay it's at least three I think it's four maybe five but um I need three to, to five layers of sunscreen. Yeah, I need to get all of this off of my face and arms, and it's just so much. Great. I'm going to see you in a month, and we're going to have lunch. Yay. Oh, my God. Yeah. <coughs> oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> just re- Keeping that in there. <laughs>
That's going to be the last sounds that our listeners hear. So it, like, on that note, folks, the, please it, rate and like, review us. Yeah, it's like the goodbye, rate and review, and then the music, and then the music. <laughs> out. It's just like, <laughs> yeah, amazing, definitely. perfect. Um, um, we're we, so good at this. We're so good at this. Wow. Um. Okay, I'm hanging up on you. Goodbye. I love you. I love you too. And I'll see you soon. <laughs> Wow, bye.